Welcome to another episode of the Compass Equip podcast. Hello, Compass. I'm Hayden Thomas, and I am so glad to be joining you on this week's episode. Here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and that's right, training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. We are continuing our series this fall on the Sermon on the Mount entitled The Countercultural Kingdom. And this week's sermon was entitled The Narrow Way. And the preaching point from the text of Matthew 7, 13 through 14 was this, that entrance into the kingdom of God is only possible through the substitutionary work of Jesus on our behalf, which is made evident by a lifelong, joyful submission to God. And that text in Matthew 7, 13 through 14 reads this way. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. A personal note, uh, when I read this verse, I believe for the first time when I was saved, it gave me such a zeal for evangelism and such a zeal to pray. And I can never remember praying the way that I prayed the first few years of my salvation. Uh, and even in such a broad way, I, even as I've, I've, got, I've grown and uh, matured in my Christian faith, I've learned how to pray more specifically. But I remember in my, my younger years, when I was 15 and 16 and 17 years old, and I'd lay in bed praying at night, I would say, God, save people. God, I pray there's anyone who doesn't know you that you would save them. And uh, that that kind of prayer, even that still echoes in my heart, even today, uh, even as we pray monthly together as a church, and as my prayers uh, are exercised regularly, I've been molded so much by this text that says, the way is narrow, the gate is narrow, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The reality is there's so many people out there going through the wide gate, and they are walking the wide road that leads to destruction. And I can look at this text and say, and say by a percentage, statistically, more people that I look like, look at each day are headed for destruction than are headed for eternal life. And so I pray not only does this text encourage you and convict you, but it also would empower you to think about the eternal destination of everyone who you see around you. And as you see them and as you pray for them and as you encounter them and engage them, that you would do these three things when it comes to this text, and they are the three points from our sermon. And the first one is this, that as you think about the gospel and as you think about the way to eternity, that you would stress the exclusivity of Christ. Point one, that you make sure that everyone knows, including yourself, that there is no other name given among men with which we must be saved. Acts 4 Verse 12, that we know, John 10, 19, or 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. We unapologetically, unashamed, we do 
Romans 1 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles I stress the exclusivity of Christ and we live in a world with myriads of worldviews, myriads of perspectives on does God exist? How did the world get here? Where do we go from here? Does my life mean anything? And we're going to have all those questions answered by doing this, stressing the exclusive means of relationship with God through Christ. Question, if you think of worldview questions, does my life matter? It matters because God gave his one and only son for those who would believe in him would have a way to him. Is there purpose for my life? There's purpose in my life. Ephesians 2.10 says that I have been created in Christ Jesus because of the exclusive means of salvation in Christ. I've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's a plan that I would walk in them, that God has prepared them beforehand, that I would walk in them. Is there a life after this? Another worldview question that, that you get in our culture, there's one of the common worldview questions, is there life after this? And Jesus says, where I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you, that when I come back, I will take you to be there with me. Is there life after this? Every question that you can answer when it comes to the worldview and to the big questions of this age can be found in the exclusive name of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to stress it and we're going to push it and we're not going to budge from understanding Jesus as the means to eternal life, as the sole understanding of my purpose here and of my complete being, of my obedience of my purpose, everything I can understand through exclusively through Christ. Point number two, because of this, we're going to display lifelong joyful obedience to God, the doctrine of regeneration, that I'm going to be sanctified. When I am justified, I'm going to be sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit. And through that sanctification, I am going to display lifelong joyful obedience to God. We cannot forget this part of the doctrine of regeneration. We cannot forget this part of the gospel that we will follow Jesus as our Lord. And this is one of the big reasons why people are deceived in our day because they have been taught and preached a gospel that requires nothing of them other than belief, other than that I would say, that I would even, even they use verses out of context to get them, uh, to get people to say something, I mean, confess something about Christ without understanding the substance of the gospel. I just have one example here that I, I can help you, right? Any who confess, right, confess Jesus as Lord. I mean, even that text has been taken out of context. First John 4.15 is, is, was one of those texts that we see so often. Let's see, let me, let me flip to it real quick. 4.15, First John 4.15. 15 uh, here who whoever confesses that the son is not not the same text let me find the let me find it. Romans 
Yeah, there it is, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? I mean, this, this reality, well, all you got to do is just confess it. And all you got to do is believe in your heart and you're saved. Yes, but what does it mean to confess that Jesus is Lord? That means he is the master. That means that, that who he is, not only who he is, but the work that he has done, it saves me because I trust in him as my Lord. I believe in him that his resurrection is proof of my future resurrection and the righteousness in which he has is given to me and my life is not my life as I live it is a confession. Not just the words that I say, but the way I live through the power of the Holy Spirit from Romans 10, 9 is one of those texts that we can look at and say there is complete coherency in confessing that Jesus is Lord and living as Jesus is Lord. We, we have to look at that word. Like Lord is not just Jesus' last name. Lord means master. It means the one who is in control and who to whom I am submitting my life unto for eternal life. And we see if we will look at this, displaying lifelong joyful obedience to God, we can find so much assurance. And as we look at the new covenant uh, prophecy in Ezekiel 36, that he's going to give us a new heart. He is going to put his spirit within us, and he's going to cause us to walk in the statutes and be careful to obey my rules. No one apart from God opening their eyes and opening their hearts is going to submit to Christ as Lord. And so we see this new covenant uh, prophecy fulfilled in Christ as he's opening the eyes of people unto salvation, and he promises in the Spirit, and then it's God who causes us to walk in the statutes of God and being careful to obey his rules. And then as we display lifelong joyful obedience to God, we know that that isn't a work of us. It is something that has been bestowed upon us through the love of God by the sacrifice of Christ and through the fulfillment of the Spirit in our life. And so how do I know I'm saved? Because I have been transformed. I am a new creation. Uh, Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. And the fruit that I have in my life is a substantive declaration of the transformation of the Holy Spirit's work in my life that has been proof of my salvation as I trust in the righteousness of Christ, as I confess the name of Christ as Lord of my life and as the reigning Lord of the universe. And if we will get that right, point number three makes so much more sense of don't deceive yourself. Because we have neglected the doctrine of regeneration in place of easy believism and in place of decisionism, uh, we we tell people you can't don't 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 question your salvation don't think uh, don't think ever again where you stand with God instead we can as we think biblically about the gospel we allow the work of God in our life to give us assurance of our salvation we say surely that what has been wrought in me is not of me. I have received an alien righteousness, and what comes from me did not come from me. What is produced out of me through the power of the Holy Spirit is a complete work 
of God, and I'm trusting in God as he has transformed me. I trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ who sustains me and who will keep me until the end. And, that, and th- there it is, right? That assurance, the assurance of salvation, uh, eternal security. I mean, even that, that I know eternal security is that no one can pluck me out of the hand of God because of Jesus Christ. But First John still tells us that there are those who have gone out from us that it would be known to us that they were never of us. And so this, this is why it's important to understand deception and, and making sure that we're not self-deceived. Because even as First John teaches, like there's people who confess Christ, but then they, they walked away. And they walked away that it may become plain to us that they were never of us, that they although they, they said some true things about God, although they may have professed something at some point in time, there was proof in their life as they reject God that the Holy Spirit had never come into their life because they had never trusted in Christ as Lord. And this is why we need to allow Scripture to guide us in our assurance and that we need to make sure that we don't deceive others and we don't deceive ourselves. I mean, even like we talked about in Luke 13 with those who were knocking on the master's door and they were like, let me in, let me in. And the master says, I don't know where you come from. And they said, what are you talking about? We ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. Those people were depending on their knowledge of God. They weren't depending on what scripture teaches. Even in Luke 13 where we're, where the master says, I don't know you. The problem is we are, we are saying, I know enough about God. I, I know enough about God to be saved. Well, we got to recognize salvation is God knowing you. Does God know you? We see in Matthew 7, depart from me, I never knew you. We must make sure that God knows us, and God can only know us through the exclusive means of his Son, And that is given to us as a gift of grace and mercy that we receive, yes, by faith. And we must recognize that we have received Christ by faith, trusting this. And this is what it means to to receive him by faith, that I trust that his righteousness is given to me as my sin has been transferred to him. And the wrath of God has been placed on him on the cross. And that is sufficient for the punishment that I deserve. Now, and that's, this is what I want you to understand. If we think of the gospel as being anything but that, we missed the, the understanding of the justice of God and why it was necessary for Christ to die. And that's when we talk about the exclusivity of Christ, we're saying he's the only one who could pay the debt that you couldn't. He's the only one who was sufficient. He's the only door that could have been a substitute for you, and you're trusting in him for your salvation, that you are not guilty of your sin, not because you somehow are good enough, but because he took his guilt, your guilt, and put it on him. So that's what we mean. Anything else would be a deception. Any other understanding of the gospel is a, is a deception. We're going to understand that God is pleased with us because he's pleased with Christ. And if God has so purchased me through the blood of his son, he is going to sanctify me through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to keep me until he comes and receives me. And then he, and he's going to then take me and he's going to resurrect my body. And then he's going to bring me 
into a glorified state and all of those who trust in Christ as Lord. And so all of these things are complementary to one another. And we don't have to be confused about the part of obedience. We don't have to be confused about the place of good works because we read the gospel and we understand what scripture teaches us. And it allows us to do something very humbly and graciously. And that is we take 2 Corinthians 13, 5, when it says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. We can now take this humbly and graciously as as an opportunity to do these three things. Examine your works. Test them against Scripture. And as you test your works against Scripture, be real with yourself and ask, am I regenerate? 2 Corinthians 5.17. I'm a new creation. Am I a new creation? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All those who are in Christ are a new creation. Doesn't mean that I'm perfect. We're not preaching perfectionism. Remember, we said this. I know I got this old outer shell that's still wasting away, but the inner self is being renewed every day. And that's the question I ask. Am I Is my soul being conformed to the image of Christ? And is that fruit of uh, the regenerative work inside flowing out of me, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? We're not talking about the cardia. We're not talking about the muscle that is in me, the organ that I have. I'm talking about the being, the, the, the soul that animates this body as this soul is being conformed. So even this sinful flesh is submitting to the will of the spirit and be real with yourself is that true in my life and those are good helpful uh, verses and examples and applications of asking yourselves am i deceived because i don't want to be the person in matthew 7 that we'll get to in a few weeks lord lord did we not do all these good things remember it's not good things that save you because even in matthew 7 it shows us lord lord not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one, the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. And we see all these people who do good things and who work miracles and did many mighty works. But the thing of the matter is they didn't submit to the will of the Father because they couldn't, because they had no capacity to apart from the Holy Spirit. And there you are in asking the question, am I deceived? We had a couple of really good questions that I'll get to here uh, in our uh, next segment here on our uh, Compass Equip podcast. I always love when you guys ask questions. They're always helpful to think through uh, both the heart and the place of the congregation as you're thinking about the will of God. Uh, and it's always helpful because if you're asking it, odds are other people are too. So here are a couple of the questions that we received this week. First question, can you please give examples of spiritual fruit with supporting scriptures? And uh, yes, absolutely. I think, I think the heart of this question is, is spot on, and I hope that these help. But I want you to think about spiritual fruit. Uh, when we put spiritual fruit uh, in, uh, when we, you put spiritual fruit in this question, what do, you, what do we have to ask? We have to ask, what are we asking? Because are we saying, okay, there's got to be something apart from obedience or is something like that is in ethereally up there, like spiritual fruit? It's something, uh, what is that? I mean, I, I don't know how to answer that question, uh, depending on what you mean by it. However, when you ask, can you please give me examples of spiritual fruit with supporting Scripture? I can. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual 
worship. I want you to think about that. Because if we mean by spiritual fruit that there is something that happens internally that controls me like a robot, uh, that I don't actually myself cooperate cooperate with and, and take part in, then I'm going to say I, I can't find that in Scripture because that doesn't exist in Scripture. But if by spiritual fruit what you mean is, uh, can you show me places in Scripture where I'm shown that there is a part to play in the cooperation with the Holy Spirit to live obediently to God, and then therefore those are spiritual fruits? I'm going to say yes, Romans 12.1 is part of that. Paul is appealing to the church in Rome to say, by the mercy of God, I love that, not because you can do it, but because of the mercy of God that you now present your body as a living sacrifice. Of course, they had uh, there was a lot of problems going on uh, in, in the Romans uh, as they watched pagans uh, you know, living in sexual immorality and disobedience and licentiousness uh, and sensuality. They're saying, and we have Paul saying, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what's a spiritual fruit? Presenting your body as a living sacrifice. I mean, submitting your your body to the tenets of God's commands and walking the narrow way. I mean, there is a spiritual fruit with a supporting scripture that you're doing something tangible and applicable through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you that is a real hands and feet reality that you would submit yourself. I mean, we even have, in, in Paul talks to the church in Corinth, and he says, uh, this is God's will for you your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. There it is. Uh, what's, a, what's a spiritual fruit? That you would abstain from sexual immorality outside of marriage. Well, what's a spiritual fruit? The f- spiritual fruit is the physical fruit of abstinence until marriage. I mean, so we see why, do we, why can we do these things? Because it is a spiritual fruit. But spiritual fruit comes out as obedience, which is practical application to God's Word, which is why at our church we preach practical application. Not because we're trying to create legalists, but because we're trying to teach and train Christians how to live for Christ. Obviously, there's a, the famous one, Galatians 5, through 26, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Think about this. What was the law given for? The law was given to convict of sin. Uh, this proof of sin happened as people were acting against obedience. And so here, even as we're thinking of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, how do we see those spiritual fruits uh, manifest through practical application of God's Word empowered by the Spirit? They're fruits of the Spirit. And it says those in verse 24 who have belonged to Christ Jesus. Again, this is it. You have to belong to Christ Jesus or you cannot have the fruits of the Spirit. And because those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, listen to this, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There, there it is, that, that obedience command. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. As the Spirit is living in us and as we confess the work of the Spirit, we then obey the Spirit as He guides us and directs us. And then, let us not become conceited, that's uh, verse 26, provoking one another, envying one another. There's still going to be this battle with the flesh, but there's the keeping in step with the Spirit that we're going to humble ourselves and say, this is not because of me. This is the work of God in me through the Holy Spirit producing these fruits in me. So let me not come become conceited thinking this is pr- protruding out of me. It's It only comes out of me because the Holy Spirit who is in me. It's a really good question. Here's a, another question that uh, we received uh, this weekend. It says, I cannot point to an exact moment I became a new creation, but 
I am a Christian and believe I have fruit. I have prayed for salvation, but I do not rely on a prayer as my salvation. Does only true salvation display a major life change? Question mark. I see my transformation as only gradual, subtle changes. Am I deceived? Well, this is a good question. It's the qu- it's, is the question the text asks us. Is, is, is am I deceived? i got to ask that question. Uh, and although that I, I can't answer this question uh, explicitly uh, because I, uh, as, even as this question is submitted, I have to know the, the, the who asked this question. I have to know uh, your life, even to help you, uh, even as 1 Corinthians 5 says, make an appropriate judgment of the, the fruit of, of your life and to think about, do you know the gospel? I mean, here, here's the questions we have to ask. Do I know the biblical gospel? Have I responded to the biblical gospel it, by repentance and faith in Christ Jesus for salvation? Do I see fruit in my life? And those fruits are like, uh, do I love the Lord? Do, do I have affections and desires for the Lord? Do I have affections and desires for my church? I mean, th- and that's a really good question. Are, are you having to force yourself to fellowship, or do you find yourself uh, being drawn and attracted to fellowship? I mean, those are fruits of the Spirit. Uh, as far as you, w- when, when you ask the question, uh, does true salvation display a major life change or a subtle gradual change? And, you know, that's another good question. And we see in Matthew 13, uh, the parable of the soils, and that last soil that is that soil that represents someone who is saved, it says in verse 23, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit, and yields in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. Well, th- there's a good example of saying not everyone's going to bear the same amount of fruit, but every Christian is going to produce fruit. And so that you're not you know, the next, you know, big thing in the Christian faith is not the point here, uh, that you are regenerate through the power of the Holy Spirit and that you do produce fruit, regardless if it's 30-fold or 60-fold or 100-fold. We're not going to all produce the same amount of fruit, but we are, by the nature of who we are, going to produce what is consistent with the new nature that we've been given in Christ. And so when you ask the question, am I deceived? That's a question you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to think about. Uh, You need to, you should seek some counsel and perhaps you would like to meet with Pastor Evan and I, or maybe you can talk to those who know you best. And, And as you know the gospel, as you've responded to the gospel, and as you've seen Christ work in you since then, and you see the appetites and the affections and desires been transformed in your life, those are really good indicators of the regeneration of the soul by God. And so I think that's a really humble question to ask. Uh, I even love that we're not, we're, not, we're not here trusting in a prayer, but we're trusting in Christ. And I hope that doesn't confuse you if you're listening. What do you mean don't trust in a prayer? Well, we got to recognize we're not trusting in anything. I'm not trusting in the church to save me. I'm not trusting in sacraments to save me. I'm not trusting in anyone. I'm trusting in Christ to save me. If I have to then, if I have to think about a prayer as, did I say the right words? Well, I don't know. Then that means I don't understand salvation. And so as we have this question asked, I didn't rely on the prayer for salvation. Well, what a wonderful reality. But often we do confess our response to salvation through a prayer, which is very uh, which is was very good, 
and necessary as we call out to God. When we talk to God, we call out to God. That is a prayer. But it isn't that prayer that is the means of my salvation. It's Christ who's the means of that salvation. And so that's why we are going to, we're going to, again, stress the exclusivity of Christ. Not the exclusivity of prayer for salvation, but the exclusivity of Christ for salvation. And as I pray unto the Lord for salvation, I receive it not because of the, not because of the prayer, but because of Christ who gives salvation as it proceeds from the Father, as I'm filled with the Holy Spirit at conversion. So I, I hope that kind of clears it up a little bit uh, for you as you're listening to this. Uh, Compass, so grateful for you guys. Got a couple announcements before I let you guys uh, off of, of here. We have our baptism service this Sunday, October 15th. Uh, if you have not signed up for baptisms, there's still a little bit of time left. We'd love for you to sign up for baptisms, to be baptized, take your first step of obedience as, as a believer. Or maybe this is uh, something that you've put off. You've been saved for a long time and you need to be baptized. I want to encourage you, today is the day to sign up. We have a men's breakfast this Saturday, October 14th from 9 to 11. From 6th grade on up, we encourage all of our men uh, to be there, to be encouraged by the teaching of God's Word and the fellowship of other men in our church. We have our kids' Christmas choir going on. Registrations are closed, but rehearsals are ongoing. And so make sure if you have registered, keep track of your schedule to know when you guys are rehearsing all the way up until December the 17th. And we have our final Exploring Compass coming up on November the 12th through the 19th. And the registrations are open for that. I want to encourage you if you want to be a part of our church, which we hope uh, you do. And we want everybody who comes to our church who's looking for community to find it. And so Exploring Compass is the best way for you to do that. We'd love for you to sign up for our final session of Exploring Compass for 2023. All right, church, we look forward to seeing you next week. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week.